0: wherever or whoever you may be i am alan orante and this is the recluse podcast today's guest is john truer he is an artist and a filmmaker he graduated from california state university channel islands in 2015 and has just released a 40-minute film titled good 20 starring stephanie gray and art roberts the film centers around protagonist scarlet esperanta It is a story of her quest for justice. It is a coming-of-age tale. Some of the underlying themes include feminism and power. John and I had a media literacy class together at Channel Islands, and that's how we met. We've been friends for over five years now, and I'm so proud of everything he's accomplished in that time. In this conversation, we talk about his film, of course, Good 20, the writing process of it, the shooting and editing, The themes, the character motivations, the absurdity of the world that John has created. We talk about the value of interpretation and intention behind film. You can find this film on Vimeo if you search for Good Twenty by John Truer. John, I am so proud of you. I think it was so important that you finish this film. I really see it as a springboard to all you'll do in the future. I'm excited to see what comes of you. So without further delay, this is a portrait of John Truer.
1: Well, I really loved going to junior college and the professor that took us to Italy, uh, wasn't just Rome, it was several cities in Italy, but um, my professor there was, uh, had a huge impact on my life, Professor Richard Flores, and he's mainly the reason why I decided to move here as well. But back to the trip, um, it was a nine-day educational tour through EF Tours. And we went to Venice, Florence, and Rome were the main places where we stayed. And in between those those uh, couple days each, we stopped in Bologna and Assisi. And we took a side trip um, to uh, what was the place called? Um, uh, I forget that last place that we went. It was just like a half-day trip, but yeah, it had it had an impact on me. Not not so much like we went there as you know an art class and the trip centered around uh, museums and seeing the art there, which this ancient you know uh, centuries-old art and the Vatican and you know the Duomo and Michelangelo's work in Florence at the Academia. Um, but I think the biggest thing that occurred to me being there was just how small the world is and uh like my my teacher was mainly uh the influence that got me there that you know it was really hard to raise the money to go there without like a real job and without you know having a, a savings account or something. Uh we had to hustle up the money just to get there. But once we were there and it was coming towards the end of the trip, my professor asked me he was like, oh, so, you know, what do you like about the trip so far? And I was telling him the different places and art. And and he was like, okay, that's cool. Well, you know, what have you learned about yourself on this trip? And that was a tough question, but I think it, it gave me a good perspective to look at something like that. It's like we're going halfway across the world, but really the ultimate goal of any trip or any endeavor is to learn about yourself. So I kind of struggled with that, but um, ultimately I I feel like that's, that's the conclusion I came to. Like the world is a small place, you know, being in somewhere so foreign that I had never been really to Europe before. um, You know, people were the same. People were nice. And, and particularly the places we went, which are more touristy spots, you know, a lot of people spoke English. So we were able to communicate with each other uh, and that was great. But I also learned some Italian. I ordered a beer, in Italian, in a bar. <laughs> and that made me feel really good. Like, cause, you know, I wanted to lend myself to their culture as well. I wanted to absorb myself in that. And uh, I think I did. Um, but it, it was just, it was more of a feeling of like, oh, yes, like getting out of my own country, out of my own town, out of my own state and being somewhere where the culture was different, where um, people basically are the same. It's just uh, we have different cultures and we can learn from that. So so I, I really took that to heart. Like the, the, um, the heartfelt warmth that I felt from a lot of the Italian people there, uh, it was wonderful. You know, it was like it was the opposite of kind of the, the way I would feel in Hanford a lot of the time was that these aren't really I can't really connect to a lot of these people here. I didn't care much for the mentality of my hometown and of course i had friends that were like minded but i always felt like i i stood apart from them as being more of a a creative type and uh kind of thinking outside the box and acting outside the box
0: you know i've i've seen all the art you've not all the art but i've seen your clay work and and your film uh and just actually dealing with you as a person, you, we've been friends for a long time now, uh, you know, most of the time you've been in Ventura and you're, you, I think you always put a creative or intellectual spin on things just in conversation. In creating art like film and clay and any art for that matter, is there always a philosophy or some intellectual piece within the art itself? Is there always that aspect to art?
1: Well, are you talking about my art or are you talking about art in general?
0: Um, Both. I'm curious about both art in general and then specifically for you.
1: Okay. Well, um, that's, that's a tough one. And I I, I think about this a lot actually, because, uh, you know, there is a, a definition of art that I would say is traditional art. Like what people would think of is, you know, uh, paintings and, um, Photography, uh, ceramics, music, but um, when it comes down to it, like my own work, and I incorporate this when I look at other artwork too. But art, I've kind of created a narrow definition of when, as as far as I'm concerned, when I see something, is that art or is it not? Because you know, it's uh, in some in some clicks it's like anything goes like, Oh, you, you made a painting that's art, you know, and, and that has its value. Uh, if you're a creator, it's like anything you create can be considered art. But for me, I I like to uh, lend that definition more. It, It falls more in the realm of very narrow. And I like to refer to Picasso's definition of art, which was that art is the lie that define that helps you realize the truth and so i do think that there should be some component within art for me to consider it art that makes you think that makes you realize Mm. something that touches you know uh not just on imagination but a connection between people like oh i get what that person's saying so particularly in my filmmaking nowadays like uh, now i'm I'm much more refined with ideas when i make a film now uh i always try to include an underlying message or theme that isn't readily apparent at the surface you know it's not superficially like with good 20 you know it's this story about a girl and her birthday and you know she is kind of forced to kill or be killed um but ultimately underneath that, like you touched on it too, which I'm I'm always uncertain how people are going to interpret it. Um, but that's part of the fun part of art too, is that your audience can interpret what you've created in different ways, maybe a way that you didn't intend, but is good, you know, a different perspective. So um, yeah, it has that underlying theme of being uh, more about, you know, um, a film about empowerment, about taking control over your own life, about not being pushed around and drawing a line and, um, overcoming authority, uh, external authority and, you know, self-empowering, self-empowerment. Um, that, that's, that's just one example, but yeah, when it comes to different art, that's kind of what I look for that really, uh, I find exciting.
0: And so before we get into the film, which I have a lot of questions about, um, before we get into the film, just for the record, because it's maybe one of my favorite stories, uh, how did you and I meet? <laughs>
1: well, that's that's great. And I love this story, too, because uh, we met in a media literacy class. And if I recall correctly, it was a, a hybrid class. like It worked to give credit for communication majors or minors, in my case. Or education majors, Um, so it was it was a mixed class, which was interesting. But I took it for the communication credit, and um, once in there, we had to introduce ourselves, and of course, I introduced myself as being a filmmaker, and um, we had to pair up with uh, another classmate to do our final, which was, of course, a video project, an advertisement, (laughs) a commercial. We had to make a commercial for our final, so right away, I was stoked, but. I didn't know I didn't have in mind anyone in particular for a partner. And then you came over the smart man that you are like, I'm going to, I'm going to get together with the filmmakers so that our final is, you know, we're (laughs) ahead of the game, so to speak. And because you got the drop on me, like I hadn't asked anybody yet. I was looking at some of the, the women in class thinking, Oh, maybe I'll pair up with one of these hot chicks or something. And you know, that, I'm, I'm so glad that you approached me before I just, you know, went that route because we developed a friendship and I really respect you as an actor. Um, you turned out to be one of the best actors I've ever worked with, <laughs> regardless of having any, you know, um, background or anything, which I don't think you do. I think you're just a natural, but that's, that's the best kind of actor to work with, I think. That's how we met.
0: I remember that day uh, so clearly, uh, I can see the classroom, uh, Rafael Perez, the, I think that was his name, the professor. Yeah. And, um, I remember, uh, you introducing yourself, like you said, as, as a filmmaker and an artist. And, um, I was, you know, I, I can be, you know, there's this slice of me that's very selfish. I'm like, I can, I'm a very selfish guy sometimes. And in that respect or in that vein, I felt that as soon as I saw you in the room and I heard what you were about, because I looked around and nobody else was saying what you were saying. And I knew what I was interested in. I was like, you know what? I got, got, I got shark eyes. You know, I just smelled blood from a mile away. (laughs) So I just had to work with you and, you know, selfish or not, I think there was something there because look at us, we're talking how many years later? um, Yeah. And I remember... you maybe you have a different perspective or version of this, but I remember we did that final project, which was awesome and fun. You know, we bonded over those days of filming um, at your place in Ventura. And I remember when we presented it to the class, all this work we had put into it, I could have sworn, tell me if you're remembering it this way, but the sun's glare through the window was so awful that I don't think that Anything on the screen was seen. Do you remember that at all?
1: Yeah, I remember it being particularly uh, bad in that way, the presentation. Because <laughs> it was, I mean, when when you project on a screen, it, you have to have darkness, or you know, and and plus with that project being, you know, I was in a, a that was a time in my life where I was coming out of this huge inspiration from film noir. So we shot it that way. I mean, it's, it's got that theme rolling through it very much, very heavy, but it was, uh, I, I put a high contrast effect on it, which made the dark really dark and the light really light, which, you know, if you have any variation in lighting in the room, it's, it's going to look that much worse. Like I should (laughs) have, I shouldn't have applied the, uh, high contrast effect but I did and yeah it was it was bad I was like oh man they can't even see this great stuff we <laughs> shot but we knew what it was and they appreciated it and it was still a million times better than what anybody else did so oh yeah it was, it,
0: cool. it was just so ironic you know all this work and time and effort and thinking it you know and then we come to present and it's just ironic that it would end up that way where then nobody can really see it Um but anyway, so good twenty, it's your most recent film. You dropped it this year a couple weeks ago. What was the writing process like? You know, you you wrote the script before you shot anything. Did you have the script written out and the story already planned?
1: Oh yeah. Um it's it's funny. I'm gonna back up a minute back to that project that we worked on, uh the classic choice, which was a gun commercial basically. And you know, it really was uh, a progression of how I approached filmmaking. From then, it was like, you know, we kind of had like a a basic story or whatever, and we shot it. But uh, I really had to self-discipline myself in order to start from the correct place, which is writing a script. And the in-between project uh, between the classic choice that we did and Good 20 was called The Meat Wagon. And that was in 2015, we made that. And Really, that was the first time I I started writing more of like a script before shooting because uh, Art, who was involved in that project, who was a you know a a really serious actor has been for years. He he was going to come into it, and I was really appreciative of him. But he just asked me for one thing, and that was to write out uh, a scene so that he could rehearse it and be ready for when we shot, which oh, I yeah. wasn't. Yes. I was used to more winging it, you know, like, Oh, we'll just get in there and say these couple things and I'll work it, you know? But, um, because he approached me that way, I took it serious. I wanted his, his, uh, participation and I wanted to give him a good scene. So I really, I wrote it out like the day before we were going to meet up about it. Uh, so fast forward uh, to 2016, I, I had a great, uh, chunk of time where I could write on, Uh, where I could work on Good 20 in the script, I went up and house sat for my cousin in Washington for a week. And I was just by myself. And it was freezing outside. And I'm watching the dogs and their cat and their fish in their house. And I just really loosened up. I was drinking homemade wine and just kind of Keeping the fire stoked and playing pool, and it took me a few days to get really loosened up. But I had always planned to write this script because coming off of Call of the Meat Wagon, I wanted to make another film that was similar, and I knew I could do it. I was really motivated, so I spent about a week and I I wrote out a couple scenes, and I found the music uh, right away, and the music inspired me you know, I could see certain scenes that went to certain songs. So with those songs in mind, I wrote out the scenes that would go to them and I I hashed out like a 13 page script. And, uh, my plan leaving Washington, coming back here, coming back home was to shoot the film and edit it and be done with it in six months. And I was trying to make a 20 minute film. So Once I got back, it was like, it was a lot slower going than I had expected, but I worked on the the script more and I ended up having, uh, I think a 35 page script, which I'm not really versed in script writing either. So a 35 page script, if you're, you know, like as far as screenplays go and stuff, it's basically supposed to be one page per minute of film. But what I had was like three minutes per page of film. And of course I ended up chopping it to like 22 pages later on and still ended up with the 40 minute film. But I did have that original, uh, 23 page script. I think, uh, that I handed to Stephanie, the star along with a copy of call the meat wagon and said, Hey, I want you to look at this film. I'm trying to make something similar and here's the script and read over it carefully So, yes, in in this situation, I had a script ready way before we started shooting.
0: And when you're making or actually when you're just thinking about a film, so whether you're in the middle of the uh, script or not, when you're just simply thinking about your film and what you want to do, are you imagining the the possible sets. Are you imagining the actor's attire, the mise en scène, the the camera angles already, or do you simply just start with uh a, a, the story and you're not even thinking about the details? So I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm curious about what you think about and how what you're seeing when you're thinking about your film.
1: All right. Well, yeah. It's it's multifaceted. Like the way I imagine a a a film that I want to make is um, I pull inspiration from a lot of sources and I kind of, I I go about it in a roundabout way. Like um, I think the story with good 20 really presented itself to me like halfway through shooting it. Like I realized that the most important part of the story was the story, the relationship between the two sisters. So I, I kind of, last minute wrote in a few things and improvised some things to uh, you know, to emphasize that part of the script. But ultimately uh, I, cause I'm, I'm thinking about the next project already and it's the same approach I've had for a long time. It's just, I, I take more time preparing now. So I, I have like, I'll usually have a basic idea for the story. Like, okay, um, here's the basic Area, say Ventura, that it's going to be shot in, um, and it's going to center around this character. And this character goes through a couple things, and ultimately, I, I I have an idea for the ending. I always want to end it a certain way because the ending is more important even than the beginning. Like as long as you hook someone in the beginning and have a decent middle, you you just gotta you, you got to seal the deal with the end. You know, you can't weaken at that point because then everything you did right before that is, you know, kind of compromised, but I take a lot of inspiration from movies that I've seen in the past. Uh, There are certain movies that stand out as a whole movie, but ultimately when I'm thinking about making a film of my own, I will refer to my memory of certain scenes in movies or certain characters. And I'll try to emulate that. Like, well, like right now there's just, like with David Lynch and his films, what I love about certain parts of his films is he creates a mood, like this creepy eerie kind of mood. And that plays, you know, it's, it's powerful. Uh, So like, I always look for cool locations, but having no budget, it's like, it's more of a practical thing, you know, like, we shot at the park because we could just go there and shoot and no one's going to stop us. And we were away from the main area where people were. So we had it kind of to ourselves. Uh, you know, I walked into the tavern one day and said, Hey, can I shoot this scene here? You know, I don't have any money, but will you guys let me shoot here? And they were cool enough to be like, sure. You can have an hour on this day where there's no people in here. And as long as it's just you and your actor, that's cool. Um, so, it, there's a lot of approaches. I, I take notes and I have in mind, like, for this scene, I want, it to, I want it to remind myself of this scene from Goodfellas or this scene from this horror movie or whatever strongest element of the scene is. I'm kind of emulating something I've seen before that I think works really well. And then, being a photographer for, you know, since I was a little kid, uh, I naturally have an eye for composition. I, I like, I approach each film I make as like a series of photographs where each scene, each frame, if you will, is its own composition. That's nice and strong, which I think results in a good, like, uh, ultimately the, the whole thing is, is strong in cinematography that way, because I don't ever want to look at a, 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 scene in my movie and be like, Oh, that just looks awful. It looks boring. I want, you know, you either have to have a dynamic composition to be interesting or movement or both, you know, and with movement, you have either the subject is moving or the camera is moving or both. And that keeps the viewer's eye interested in what they're seeing. So it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff to keep in mind. But also when I was in school, I took storyboarding class that had a a major influence on me. I learned to basically draw up a visual shot list uh, from the angles that I have in mind in order to get across the story and flow through a a space. So it's, it's a lot. I mean, but I I pull little things here and there and I keep track and then I slowly organize it into a script with description um, so that I I can keep it in mind. What I, what I have because sometimes you have a great idea and then if you don't document it, Uh, you might lose it and it could have really helped you, but you have to put it down on paper. You have to keep track of all these ideas or you could lose them.
0: In terms of your set atmosphere as a director, what kind of set, you know, obviously I don't mean like some Hollywood studio set. I mean, just set in the sense of where you're shooting. What kind of atmosphere do you like to have as director? Do you like to collaborate? Are you more of a, I am King. What what are your strategies for creating atmosphere and what atmospheres do you like to create in with others in terms of filmmaking? Uh,
1: Well, I I prefer a smaller group of people for one. Yes. I'm, I feel like ultimately I'm in charge. It's my film. So if if I drop the ball, then it's, it's going to show up later in the film or I'll be like, you know, in editing I'll, I'll regret not doing something or doing something wrong. Um, but I do also consider, you know, what, uh, the actors or my friends that may just be there, uh, have in mind. I, I like to incorporate other perspectives, other ideas, particularly on the spot. And I'm really open for, um, improv improvisation like you're a good example for that because i would say say this line uh but say it however you would say and and build on it you know and you would build this great stuff that really uh created a character you know like that's when you have someone saying things the natural way they would say them and they just kind of hit the basic points of dialogue that you have given them then it works so much better. And I, I've developed that over the years working with non-actors, you know, it's like, oh, this person can't act. So I'm not going to ask them to memorize this script because it's going to sound awful, you know? So instead with that kind of person, I approach it like, all right, here's the scene. Here's what we're talking about. You just have to hit a couple of major points, but say it the way you would say it in casual conversations. So I really like an informal atmosphere. Um, and if someone already seems like they're naturally doing a good job, then I go with it. But, uh, if I I can, I can kind of tell much quicker nowadays, if someone needs some direction, what kind of direction to give to them? Cause maybe they're saying something right, but maybe they don't, their facial expression isn't right. Or maybe, they're tripping up on the movement of it. I just shot something last week and it was a simple, like instructional cocktail video. But, uh, my friend Lance was like, not able to say something very simple. And I was like, I can tell you're tripping up on it. And it's too easy to be, it's too simple of a thing to be tripping up on. We need to move forward. And I told him, look, what kind of learner are you? Because people learn in different ways. I'm a visual learner, and I think visually, you know, so that helps me to see things and to imagine things. He, I was like, do you like to write things? Do you like to hear things? Do you like to see things? He said, oh, I like to write things. So I stepped out for a minute, and I said, write the words that you're having trouble with down a couple times until they're just embedded in your mind. And when I came back in, he had it, you know? So it depends. I, I have to be really... uh Adaptable to the people I'm working with. And the more professional they are, then the less I have to really direct them, unless it's something specific to their character that isn't apparent in the script.
0: I thought there was a really funny line that you had uh, incorporated into the film. It's the scene with uh, Art and I at the table at Art City. And I, I actually was shocked that it made it in. And it's so funny to uh, interpret it now. And I, Art and I are sitting across from each other. And I say, I, I basically discredit his whole character. I, I say, yeah. you know, you, you think you're special with this hook. You know, we've all seen that in the movies. And it's so funny because the movie works to build this maniacal character. And in one fell swoop, you know, my character uh, discredits his whole persona, and it, I thought it was so funny that you kept it in the film, and it, so it's a and it, it's it's an example of how useful improv can be at times.
1: Well, it's it's funny because uh, with that particular scene, I really struggled. I must have re-edited it uh, half a dozen times. It started out as this big long dialogue between you guys that was like five minutes long, and it, it really dragged. But ultimately, the major problem i had with that scene was the audio quality and what i kept in there was uh, what had the best audio quality that i could string together to make a coherent interaction so that particular line never was in there in the earlier versions of that scene uh it just happened to be, and I loved it. I was like this is this cracks me up, you know it just happened to work editing wise, which is another thing like uh in editing, you can take something like that, which was troublesome the The quality of the audio was you know i loved there were so many more excellent lines that i couldn't use because there were some guys in the background making a lot of noise, and you guys are far away from the camera i didn't have a good microphone at the time, so you know, I just kind of, this is how it's always been. I I shoot what I can. And then later on, I'm, I'm kind of forced to deal with whatever's left the cream of the crop, which uh, that scene is very different than, than what it originally was.
0: Yeah, I I think at some point, it would be fantastic for you to uh, cut, have a cut of the film or to cut recut scenes and just, you know, give it to the cast because there was, we shot so much. Um, but I want to get into, uh, you said something earlier that I really appreciated about how a, a work of art, a film can be interpreted in different ways. Um, even when the writer and the creator and the, the filmmaker has, uh, had particular intent so the 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 viewer's interpretation is just as important as the intentions behind it and i when i watched the film at the premiere that we did and i watched it today and uh, i watched it another time i believe i really had the wheels turning in my head and there's a lot of genre work going on in this film there's a lot of um themes in this film. Uh, How would you characterize uh, the genre that this film is? You know, what what do you chop it up into?
1: Well, my favorite genre and what I aimed for with it is dark comedy. Uh, So ultimately at the heart of it, it's a crime story, but it's it's a comedy. Uh, It's a dark comedy, morbid, if you will. Um, The noir aspect, which kind of led me to this project, is very very light. There, it has like a a, a feeling of being kind of old timey. Like you're, I think you mentioned it at the premiere. It's like, um, you know, you, you get a sense that you're in a different world. That's a, a hybrid between a classic and modern world. Mm. And um, but as a genre, definitely a comedy was my intent.
0: I, I found it to be like we were talking about the other night, uh, neo-noir, dark comedy. I On some level, I think it's an allegory for our universe. Um, it's feminist in nature. It's There's some level of mystery to it also that I can't really articulate yet. I'll have to watch it a few more times. But I find I was sitting there watching the film at the premiere thinking John created a Uh, an absurd universe like you said it's a blend Uh of of time of time periods and elements um just some of the themes that i noticed and you can tell me what themes you intended and what you've discovered after finishing the process i see power dynamics in this film uh for instance i was watching it the other night and the scene with stephanie and i where we're playing chess it's actually very interesting. It's a happy accident, if you will. Uh, there's a part in the scene where I smash the chessboard, but I, I paused at that point. And what's interesting is after I, after uh, the character smashes the chessboard, what's left on the chessboard is uh, a lot of black pieces, which represent Stephanie's perspective. A lot of the black pieces are left intact. And guess what? The character destroyed his own side and most of the white white pieces are wiped out. So I find the interpretation of the photography and, you know, it's just so beyond intense sometimes. Um, <laughs> so power dynamics are in this film. I found that there's a lot of masculine versus feminine things going on in this film. Animal rights and uh, and I love too. it's a, an undertone throughout the whole film is this sense of corruption and power which is obviously very relevant today um what what themes did you have cooking as you were making this process
1: oh yeah well you you said it you picked up i mean i i intended much of that if not all of it um ultimately when i started it it was uh it was a feminist film from the get-go uh i i guess i was thinking of call the meat wagon and not feeling guilty but feeling like maybe this needs to be balanced out because with Call the Meat Wagon it was like this serial killer killing women, you know, it was kind of a, a misogynistic character and I didn't want that to be like overpowering or just a theme, you know, I wanted to switch it up and I wanted to work with a female actress as the star rather than a male, you know, uh, to kind of counterbalance that. And now I think of it as like, well, this Good Twenty is the sister film to Call the Meat Wagon. But uh, it's interesting that you say that about the chess game, because uh, I didn't obviously you just smashed the pieces and it wasn't intended to be like you mostly smashed your pieces. It was just what happened. But there is I always intended this power dynamic. I always um, meant for much of the things that you see in the film to represent something bigger, uh, mainly uh, don uh, Don Carney's character is basically supposed to represent the patriarchy and the bad things about patriarchy being this domineering female oppressive kind of uh thing in our culture and in a lot of cultures. And uh, ultimately the, as a whole, I think the film is saying like, don't, don't allow patriarchy to rule you. If you're a woman, you know, it was a self empowering thing. A female empowerment film from the get-go and um also uh like i i set it up in in the sense that you know there are several different kinds of conflicts going on or contrasts if you will male versus female vegetarian versus carnivore good versus evil um so, yeah, all of that works to kind of create this back and forth, um, you know, power struggle. And it is about power. It's a film about power. Like, you're going to let this this uh, guy, this corrupt cop, this man, this carnivore boss you around and tell you what to do and hurt you and hurt your family. And it was more of like, you need to stand up for yourself, Scarlet. You need to take hold of your power and, and you know, fall into your natural place as a woman, as a human being, as a, you know, as a master of your own world. And I've, I've definitely always been a fan of the absurd. Um, so I'd like to incorporate, <laughs> I'd like to incorporate that into my films. A good way to do that is just to kind of exaggerate what's already, what I already consider absurd in our reality. You know, I'll take it to the next level. Hence the, the meatless meatballs thing causing fury within the carne characters and um, yeah. So it, it's like uh, these things are absurd. Uh, you have kind of a contrast even between the sisters, you know, the Violet, the sister is like crazy outgoing, homicidal maniac in a way. Like it's nothing to kill people where Scarlet is more reserved and maybe she's a little crazy in her own way, but She doesn't want to kill somebody, you know, she's timid. She's like in this family. She kind of has no choice by the end, but yeah, all of those things, the power dynamic, particularly with uh, uh, the Don Carne character wanting to eliminate these women as seeing them weak and, you know, in the way. And even the Don Carne versus Nacho Carne scene that you were mentioning earlier, you know they're discrediting each other. They both want to be in control, and are discrediting each other to the point to where they're destroying themselves.
0: Like I, I brought up um, the the chess part because it it is like for what you just said, it is interesting that uh, Nacho Carne he wipes himself out, and in a way that's sort of foreshadowing his demise towards the end, where like you said, Nacho and Don are. On the same side, yet they're adversaries, and they it's they they're responsible for their own undoing. And uh, another thing I wanted to mention about uh, just how it's interesting how how things work out in film. Uh, there's a, a shot where uh, Cyclops, uh, the detective, he's pouring shots for himself and for uh, for Stephanie's character. And it just adds to this feeling of, you know, men versus women, masculine versus feminine. He gives her like a half shot and he pulls himself, pours himself a full shot. And it just further tells this story of this character, Stephanie's character, having to uh, basically it's her against the world in this patriarchal uh, system. So I just love some how the themes, um, how they show up throughout the film, whether it was intended or not um and it really just feeds this spirit uh behind what what you were trying to do.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. There's a lot of things that are just happy accidents that just happen. You know, I didn't I told them to they rehearsed their whole scene there pouring the shots and they had this whole, you know, rhythm down that I really appreciated that they they prepared that way. Um but Yeah, it's like going back to what you said a minute ago with the chess scene, there are so many subtle foreshadowings and themes running through the film. Like, ultimately, they're playing a game, you know, a chess game, literally, but they're playing this game of power. And what is Don Carne and Nacho Carne's demise is themselves. They can't, you know, they can't keep it together enough to to win this game. And Stephanie or Scarlett is the opposite. Like she is well composed and is calm. And is like, no, I'm, I'm leaving now. Um, but there's a lot of foreshadowing. There's a lot of those subtle things that I've found throughout the years uh, working different little films. They just happen. And if I'm, you know, paying attention enough, I can recognize this. This is really cool. I'm going to keep this in. It's like the seagull taking flight behind Grace on the rooftop scene, it's like, oh my God, you know, that wasn't intended, but it's great. It's like, that makes way better of a scene than without it, I think.
0: So I'm going to ask you about two people and um, you can answer however you like. So first of all, uh, who is Friday and how did she assist in this filmmaking process and who is Stephanie and how did she uh, assist and participate in this filmmaking process?
1: All right. Uh, Friday is my wonderful partner in life. Um, we've been together over a year now and uh, we're totally in love. And she uh, came into the film uh, as the character of Lily. Uh Who originally was going to be someone else, but I recognize i mean she's a performance artist she's a poet she's you know she's a natural, and uh i I thought she would be much better in this role, so I asked the my friend Shelley, who was gonna be Lily, uh who i didn't think really wanted to do it and didn't feel like you know she was she just wasn't really that open to doing it so there came a time where I was like, how about Friday? You know? And she was like, that'd be great. Do it. You know, she was relieved to not have to do it. Um, Friday was excited to do it. Um, but as great of a performance as she gave in her scene, uh, really she helped me tremendously when it came to editing. Um, because this, I, I had shown her, her scene after we shot it and then, I kind of had a rough cut. She was, I, I didn't have the whole thing together yet, even as a rough cut almost, but she was like, I'd like to see a rough cut. What do you have with it? You've been working on this for a long time. I said, okay. So I took some time, you know, a couple of days, put together a rough cut. We watched it. And then she's like, she's just been so encouraging and supportive, you know? She was like, why aren't you Why aren't you sharing this with the world? Why don't you finish it, you know? And I was like, okay. So I started working on it and I got together together a decent rough cut. And then this pandemic happened and it was like, Whoa, I got laid off and I was like, well, I'm in this mode already. I have this time at home. So I started working it, you know, refining and refining, editing it. And she's an editor too. We just, she comes from more of a a literary editor standpoint, editing books of poetry and, you know, words rather than video, but watching it over and over again with her, which was awesome she was just totally willing to sit and watch it again with me and see the improvements and make suggestions and once she realized that i could handle criticism as an artist and that i i would take it and not uh take it personal you know then she really opened up and said i think this should be different or better or cut that or what about this and you know, not all of her ideas I agreed with, but I gave them the time of day. I I thought about them and, you know, I would try it at least. And if I felt it worked, then it would stick. Um, So ultimately we watched it 30 times from front to back together, uh, in various, you know, refinement stages, uh, until it was totally done. And and towards the end, it was like, I started editing too much. I would go and change Mm. something that I didn't have to, and it would, it would, uh, you know, it would damage the scene and I would like take a step back and you know revert then I realized, oh, okay, okay you know, so so I finished it and that's that's been her role with the film. She's just been a super cooperative, supportive um, encouraging partner that really helped me to feel like it was okay to spend that amount of time working on a project that you know it's not something we could do together. Uh, me sitting at a laptop editing. So, you know, I, I was hesitant to just spend all that time on it until she encouraged me to do so. Um, and then when it comes to Stephanie, uh, I met Stephanie in college, and I had the script together, like I said, and um, I had someone else in mind to be the star. Uh, I didn't know Stephanie that well. We had hung out a few times, and... She accompanied me on the photography job uh, one time, so that was kind of the extent. You know, we were friends, but not not super close. We didn't know each other that well. I didn't consider her as an actress at the time because I didn't. I wasn't really keen on that that she had the um, background. So I had someone else in mind, and I started trying to schedule rehearsals. And basically, the first girl I had in mind quit. Or I fired her. I would say, even though there's no money involved, but she, she didn't have the time to do it. So I said, okay, I'm moving on, find someone else. I found someone else that was interested, and we started rehearsing. And then she quit on me. She wasn't really into it. So it was really like, damn, you know, I've spent all this time writing the script, and I now I have other people lined up. I just need a star, which is a big deal. So I was kind of at the point like, if I don't find somebody to fill this role, then I'm not doing this project. And um, I was in class one day, my ceramics class, talking to my teacher, Amiko, about it. And she said, why don't you ask Stephanie? She's taking acting classes and, you know, she should be down to do it. You know who she is. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I approached her, but really cautiously because by then I was like, oh, I don't want to have someone else say yes and then not be able to do it and waste a bunch of time thinking that it'll get done. So I approached her and I gave her a copy of Call the Meat Wagon. uh, And I gave her a copy of the script. And I told her, look, if if you're down to do it, you know, take your time, read through the script, take a look at this film, because it's going to be similar. And I want you to really think about it. Uh, You know, if if there's any doubt or hesitation about doing this, then don't do it, because I don't want to, you know, start just to have to stop. And And she did. She came back a week or two later and said, This looks like really I love this. This is fun. Let's do it. And she really stuck it out for four years, like always down to shoot and making arrangements. And, you know, uh I really I I really tried to incorporate her ideas as a partner on this filmmaker, as, you know, like co-creators of the project. Uh so along the way, I really took her input seriously and um to the point to where when I was in the final stages of editing, I didn't want to change certain things because I knew that she liked the way they were. And I had to kind of let go of that and say, no, you know, I'm the director, I'm the editor, this is my project. And she's going to, she's going to appreciate whatever I do with it as long as it gets done. And as a whole, it works. So So, Stephanie was a huge uh, help in sticking it out and you know, uh, being reliable.
0: So now that it's all said and done, we we got to watch a finished version. What have you learned uh, throughout this whole process? You know, what have you learned about people and actors, and about script writing, and about shooting, and about setting the scene, and getting in touch with local businesses, and the process itself as filmmaker, thinker, and writer? You know, just in general, what have you learned?
1: Well ultimately what pops up in my mind is how important a story is, you know, like uh, a good story will carry maybe some of the weaker elements of the film. Um, But also like, and I've known this uh, it's just been difficult, but the more time you spend preparing the better your final product is going to be. And that's with all art, that's with anything in life. It's like, just, you know, take, if you're going to allow a majority of your time for part of a project, it should be in the preparation that way, you know, it, it, just runs smooth afterward. Um, as far as writing goes, it's never easy to write creatively speaking, you know, you can just do whatever, but I think it helps to, um, you know, I've come a long way from then, just simply in researching, uh, film festivals and Uh, what writers have to say about creating a script and what directors have to say and what festival judges have to say about what makes a good film. And I think ultimately what makes a good film, aside from having a good story is the connection with the audience, the human elements, the um, like, and that is big. Like if you look at the Oscar Nominated films, short films or long films, whatever it doesn't matter. Feature films, uh, the the common theme that makes a film strong there is going to be emotion, human emotion, and and connecting with an audience on an emotional level because that bypasses your intellect. You know, you can appreciate something for how smart it is, but if it doesn't make you feel anything, then it doesn't seem as valid. You know, uh, at least that's that's how I see it now. And that's how judges kind of judge too. Like, you know, do I feel anything? Do I care about these characters? You know?
0: So now that it's said and done, are you satisfied with, with what you've created?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, It's, it's been a thrill making it. And I, I think based on the premiere with, with you and Stephanie and um, you know, the others that were there, Uh, I think I achieved what I set out to achieve, which is a film about power and self-empowerment. And um, it really always was also, you know, about this individual character coming, you know, uh, a coming of age kind of story, but really stepping into her own power. And the success on, uh, in my mind, is that that came across to the people that could, break it down that way which like you obviously got that from it which i really appreciate that feedback um and yeah what's what's funny uh or what works in the film for me the most is is how how many funny parts there are like it makes me crack up still some of the film after seeing it a hundred times and <laughs> That's, you know, that's, that's kind of like a default, my go-to. Like if I can make someone laugh, then that's kind of an emotional connection. It, it at least makes you forget your troubles for a brief moment. And it's worth the work that went into it to see enjoyment in people's, you know, on people's faces.
0: I loved your, I said it at the premiere, I loved your cameo, your the director cameo. <laughs> it, it's, I just I watched it today again and it, it makes me laugh every time that I see it. Uh so in terms of the future obviously you don't have to be specific but you know what do you hope to accomplish in the near future and you know in your in the rest of your creative life what sort of uh constellations do you see out there for yourself creatively
1: Well I would really like to make a film that I feel is a masterpiece that um I feel could not be any better from start to finish, from, you know, the production of it to the final result and to the theme of it. I want it to be relevant. Uh, I want to be just to the point to where I don't look at it and say, oh, I, I wish I had done this differently. I want it to be like, no, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and I'm finding that the way I've done it over the years has always been as an auteur, if you will. I I film it. I produce it. I write it. Uh, I edit it. You know, it's it's like it's too many positions for one person to take on. Like I've done it, and I think I do it fairly well. But I would like to lend some of those positions out to a crew, to someone specifically that's good with the camera, someone specifically that's good with the sound maybe someone else that specifically is there on set to make sure there's uh, no continuity problems because all of these things require attention. And if your attention is spread too far or too thin, then somewhere you're going to suffer, you know, in a production. But ultimately I just, I want to make something that I'm proud of that people enjoy and, uh, in the short term, I see myself making a lot more short videos. I already just finished a short video <laughs> um, for a friend and I'm already getting other people requesting of me and offering, you know, to hire me to do these short films, which i love the quick turnaround of like a, you know, a three to five minute film. I can shoot something in a day. I can spend a day or two or up to a week editing it. And then I have another thing, you know, but really the goal is to entertain, um, and to be entertained in the process and just to exercise my creativity in that medium is, is, I know I'm decent at it and I enjoy it and I want other people to enjoy the result.
0: John, you're a, you're a friend, you're a partner, you're a creative ally. I, I, I always like to be in your presence. We, we seem to get into good conversations and uh, we've had a lot of good times together over the years. I'm it. I, I love how the universe uh, just shakes out sometimes how, you know, we're still friends after all this time. Um, you can answer the last question any way you like. Who the hell are you?
1: <laughs> uh, I am. A mindful human being that is compassionate about others and I feel more self-aware now than I have uh, ever in my life Um, yeah I'm a compassionate mindful human being that likes to have a good time and likes others to have a good time around me